I wanted to feel good from this experience and I knew I needed to let go and I needed to let go of this experience. Otherwise I'd be like treading water, trying to swim for the rest of my life while this anchor around my ankle gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. When I said those things in court, Joe, it was like the, it was like the thing around my ankle just released. I became so light. And when I became light, all these emotions came up and I went back to my hotel room and I cried and I cried and I cried. I cried for that man. I cried for me and I cried because I was just grateful for the power of forgiveness and what it can do for someone. I know without any doubt that that man is thinking about me in prison in a good way. And I'm thinking about him every day. Welcome to the show. I'm Joe Horton. On the Guild of Dad show, we unwrap weekly the incredible stories, skills and expertise of the world's most captivating dads and experts, along with topics and stories that will captivate you. I speak to fascinating individuals like writers, entrepreneurs, anthropologists, professors, psychologists, ultra athletes and servicemen. Today, I talked to one man about an incredible comeback he has had in the last 18 months. We all have a time in our lives which brings us to our knees, and how you respond and come back from these events can truly make you as a man. The struggles you endure, the insights you have, and today is all about comebacks, forgiveness, and making the choice not to be a victim of your own life. Every conversation we have translates the experience and expertise of our guests into practical knowledge you can use to better understand yourself as a dad and in the process improve your physical health, mental health, relationships, career and the way you show up in the world as a role model to the next generation. We also cover tricky subjects from all angles and viewpoints to give you a new and different perspective. My guest today is Jean-Pierre de Villiers, international speaker, high-performance coach, author, and plant-based athlete. JP, as he is affectionately known, endured a horrific accident in 2019, and in our conversation today, he recounts to me his upbringing in South Africa, the profound effect his own father's death had on him at the age of 23, and the events leading up to the accident which saw him left for dead on a roadside in a hit and run by a drunk driver. Today's episode is a story of transformation, forgiveness, choice and responsibility, which will massively impact how you look at your own life and the limitations you place on it. If you ever wonder how some of my amazing guests get to where they are in life, the athletes, the entrepreneurs, those making a massive impact on the world, I can tell you that pretty much all of them follow a very deliberate plan or system of some kind. This is exactly what I do too, and I'm revealing how you can implement a plan and system in your own life completely free in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint, which you can grab over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. That's guildofdads.com forward slash dad. Incidentally, many of the people I interview on this show will be leveraging the power of similar systems to radically level up their lives and transform into the men and dads they always wanted to be. So you will be an amazing company. And now to my conversation with JP de Villiers. JP, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast. Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate I appreciate you coming on. It's been a while uh, in the making getting this to actually uh, happen, but I know you've been a very, very busy man in the last few months. Well, the, since the beginning of this year, you've been very busy. So, uh, and we'll delve into that. But um, I thought I'd just um, ask you first and kind of foremost off the bat, who is JP for people that don't don't know you? Well, if they don't know me, where have they been? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a high performance coach, speaker, author, and athlete. Um, when I say I'm a high performance athlete, what I mean is I'm just not an athlete that likes being an athlete. I'm like any high performer, I'm always pushing myself to the edge of myself. 
challenging my thinking, challenging what I, what I believe is possible and always looking for ways to be better. And I do that through uh, writing better books every year or every couple of years, um, working on my coaching, working on my speaking and working on my athletics or my sports in a way, but I live in high performance. I live my life one day at a time, one millimeter at a time, one inch at a time. I'm always looking to tweak my life and constantly make improvements because I just think there's no limit. There is no limit. There is no ceiling other than the ceiling we create in our mind. And there is always a next level. And I've been chasing that next level. And I found my own happiness in my 20s when I got into personal development and self-mastery. And I became happy by my own definition, which is I'm really happy with my life, my goals and who I'm becoming. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm incredibly happy with where I am right now. I'm very content. I'm very happy. Um, I'm grateful for my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm perfectly imperfect. <laughs> and I've written six books, two bestsellers. In my journey through coaching and self-mastery, I've done multiple uh, sports disciplines. I've done charity challenges. I've done professional Muay Thai, Thai boxing. I've done the hardest Ironman in the world, plus many other Ironmen. I've done ultra marathons. Uh, but that's, that's who I have been for the last almost two decades. Just someone that's always looking to be better in two ways, a student and then a teacher. I live my life first and foremost as a student. And then I get to, I'm very grateful that I get to then share what I've learned as a student. So my obsession is being a student of life. And then I get to share what I've learned in my life and I get paid for it. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, but my life wasn't always that way. I grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, I didn't have the worst life or the best life. I just didn't have a life that ha I didn't have a life that I liked. And I hid away from life. I hid away from my father. He was not necessarily a good man, but he only had his own reasons for that. I hid away from bullies throughout school. We moved around a lot. There was lots of uncertainty. And I guess um, a lack of safety in my own mind. Mm -hmm. So I fell in love with sport and I used sport as a crutch and also a strategy throughout my childhood. And also the second strategy that I used was going to work at the age of 10. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot of things growing up and I've learned a lot of things in my life. Two things that I learned growing up. One, fitness makes you feel good regardless of what's going on in your life. And number two, that you can take control of your life. You can create your own life. And I started creating my, creating my own life when I was 10 years old. I started washing windows, 11 years old. I was doing a paper round, not because I wanted to. I wanted to be a kid, but I wasn't happy with the life that I was given. So I started creating a life for myself. 12 years old, I was pushing trolleys outside supermarkets for tips. And 13 to 18 years old, I worked in a fruit and veg market. Mm. Then unfortunately, Having done sport my whole life and worked my whole school life up until that point, I then moved. I left school. I left my parents' house. I moved into a new area. And fortunately, unfortunately, no one knew my past there. So I was actually quite cool. Everyone liked me, or at least a lot of people liked me, than, or more people liked me than before. And I got into clubs and girls and partying very, very quickly, Joe. My cycling and my sport um, was in the background. And because I had learned that whatever's going on in your life, if you just immerse yourself in, in what you love and what makes you feel good, you, you'll feel good as a result. So I immersed myself in parting and music and DJing. And eventually I became a DJ. I moved at 20 years old. I moved from Cape Town, South Africa to the UK. And unfortunately, Joe, I kept being surrounded or I kept surrounding myself in the DJ world. And I ended up becoming the DJ world. I became a full-on hedonist and at 23 years old, after three years in the UK, I found myself DJing full-time, DJing in Riga, Latvia, to a club of two and a half thousand people. And after everyone and everything was gone, the girls, the boys, the drugs, the alcohol, the cigarettes, and I was left on my own in the hotel room, sitting on the Radisson River, in the Radisson, sorry, sitting, in the, the, uh, sitting at the Riga River, uh, in the Radisson Hotel, mm -hmm. I realized that I effing hated my life. Mm. I had created a successful life based on consumption. And unfortunately, when no one's around, you can't consume much. You, know, you can't consume all the things that I thought made people successful. Acceptance, fame, popularity, significance. 
and all the other things that I was doing, all the activities that I was doing, consuming, 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 I couldn't consume. And I realized that, man, this is not a life for me. This is not sustainable. And I knew it wasn't sustainable because I was 23 years old. And 10 years prior to that, when I was 13, after our birthday, my, my father and I shared the same birthday, a week after Joe coming back from a cycling race, wanting to tell my mother and my stepfather and eventually my, my real father when he would call or decide to show up, the police were at my door and I was sat down by mother, my mother to be told that my father had taken his life. Hmm. And I knew that at 23 years old, I knew that there were patterns I was doing the same thing that my father did. Smart, cool, funny guy, always looking to be successful, always looking to be seen as successful, center of attention, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized, no, 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 no. Thank God for this awareness. Thank the universe for this awareness because I know I, do, I have a choice right now to go down that same route and keep doing what I'm doing or do something different. And at 23 years old, the biggest thing that I ever did for my life was I went back to the UK, I asked for help, and I got a coach. And for the first two years from then, 23 to 25, I was my first client. And I radically transformed my body, mind, and spirit. My body, mind, heart, my body, mind, soul, whatever you want to name it, whatever you want to call it. I transformed all the elements of me. I transformed my doing, my thinking, my being. And at 25 years old, I was walking around with a, with a bit of swagger, you know, fine line between confidence and arrogance. I was on that line, Joe. I was on that line because I was so proud of who I had became and the work that I had done over those two years. I went off at an opportunity in London I realized that actually I didn't want to take on this opportunity. I'd got back into fitness after DJing and, and I realized, man, how crazy is that from being a rock bottom sitting in the hotel room on my own, thinking, where is my life heading to two years later, having opportunities presented to me that I'm like, nah, 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 not for me, not for me. I thought, man, if only my father knew what I knew. Now, I couldn't change my past, but I knew that I knew too much. I had gone too far. I was too invested in personal growth self-mastery. And I just thought, you know what? I love I loved learning this stuff and I love teaching it. Mm-hmm. And for the last 16 years, I've been teaching it. Yeah. And for the last 16 years, I've been coaching, speaking, writing books, doing podcasts, etc. And I just absolutely love it. That's me. Yeah. And what's quite interesting about your story, and, it, and this is something which I unpackage with quite a few guests on this podcast, is this notion of the external and the internal. And I think that so many people are trying to find meaning and trying to find purpose and trying to find uh, a life path in the external things, the stuff that what I call the, what the haves and shoulds, the stuff that people say you should have and that you must have in order to kind of be fulfilled and, be happy and be joyful and stuff. And it sounds like you recognize this quite early on and then made that shift that actually, no, I need to move from external to going on the internal journey to really kind of uh, take a different path to, to, to my dad and, and, and in, actual, in actual fact, take a more kind of fulfilling path. And what I like about listening to a lot of what you've said in the past and also your content is that, this is very much a thing that you are captivated by, this journey into the self. And I just wonder whether you could expand upon that a little bit more, how how that captivates you and kind of grabs you so much. Mm, absolutely. I've learned that life mastery is not an outside-in game. It's an inside-out game. You get the inner world right and life will catch up on the outside. But if you try to uh, find your success on the outside, um, you'll never find it because the world on the outside is just a mirror of everything that's going on inside us. And in a meditation many years ago, I have lots of downloads and you know, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I have these really powerful moments of awareness. And I had this download that success is everything you see and that is attached to your mind. 
and fulfillment, sorry, everything you see on the outside and that's attached to your mind. And fulfillment is everything that you feel and is attached to your heart. That you can have success that looks like success, but if it doesn't feel fulfilling in here, you'll get the thing that you thought was your success. And then you'll realize very quickly that actually the feeling that you wanted on the inside that you thought you could get on the outside isn't in that thing or that relationship or that job or moving to another country because the weather's better or whatever. So then you look for another thing and another thing and another thing. And you keep going from left to right, forward to back, looking on the outside in different directions when the only direction you've got to look in is you've got to go inside. You see, we grew up in, we grew up, most of us grew up, if not all of us, grew up knowing what makes us happy. The things that we loved to do as a kid, playing, being joyful, being curious, you know, being, living a life of adventure. Now, no kids are boring. They want to be adventurous. Helen Keller said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And what is adventure to you, Joe? I don't know, because it comes from inside you. My adventure and your adventure will not be the same because it comes down to where we've come from, where we want to go to, what we want to stand for, how we want to leave an impact in the world, what our values are. And all of these things, the how, the why, the what are your values, can't be found once again on the outside. Mm -hmm. It can only be found on the inside. And what stops most people from going inside is busyness. Because you, you can't be busy looking inside. You can't be busy looking inwards. To everyone listening, think about this. You, it, you can't be busy going inwards because going inwards requires stillness, tran mm. tranquil uh, tranquility, 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 calm, peace, breath. Not really doing anything, just being. So our success, our true success, fulfillment, isn't in our thinking or our doing, it's in our being. But if we're still on that outer level, trying to do the thinking and the doing and being in action, you're too busy to find out actually what makes you happy. Or more importantly, who the hell you are. Mm, yeah. Know thyself. I love that because the thing is, is you end up kind of, I think I think a lot of people end up kind of run. I I talk about this con the, what I call the man in mirror concept, where people have that mirror and they know the person they could be and want to be and should be, but they it's so painful going on that journey and confronting that person that instead what they do is they run away and sedate themselves with external things and and to your point on the kind of breath and the stillness, you're right. I, I've I've been doing the Wim Hof method for the last week or so now and to anyone that's done that that breath hold you know it's a very very strange place to be because it kind of first of all your 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 kind of awareness is very focused on the fact that you're kind of holding your breath if you like but then once you kind of relax into it your brain you you kind of reach into a kind of place of stillness and relaxation and kind of serenity and then the kind of chatter just kind of fades away and there's just nothingness and it's just it's a really to, to try and describe that to people is, is a kind of quite an abstract thing but it's in that stillness when you finish doing that exercise and everything is slowed down to a lot slower pace your brain kind of almost catches up and then afterwards you your creative brain kind of kicks in a little bit after it's a really kind of peculiar sensation because i know that you do some some uh, cold cold water work and the and the ice yeah. work and so you know exactly what i'm kind of talking about this space between between the ears when it goes still yeah so when you do cold exposure you have to slow down your breathing and by slowing down your breathing you change your brain waves from beta to alpha and when you're in beta and you're breathing fast, you're in problem-solving mode, you're in survival mode. And you can't be in your own creative genius, not just trying to become a creative genius. 
you are a creative genius. Everyone comes in to this world a creative genius. You don't think scarcity when you're a child. You know, your imagination is everything. You're highly creative. But when you are in a stressed uh, environment or you create a stressed environment internally through your breath, you have your breathing puts your brain into a problem-solving mode because <sighs> there's obviously something happening. So the brain goes, let me look what's happening, what's happening. And all the brain can focus on is surviving. That's it. You're not going to get more. It's just looking to survive. And you might look to survive by, you know, having a drink, having a smoke, uh, I don't know, doing drugs or whatever, or shouting at someone, fight, flight, freeze. But when you slow down your breathing and you use cold exposure even to do that, never mind cold exposure, actually, just general deep breathing and deep breathing patterns like the Wim Hof method or Tony Robbins does, you know, there's lots of people that do uh, uh, teach breath work or breathing patterns. You actually change your brain waves to say to your body, relax. There's no stress out there. And until we get that breathing right, or until we change our breathing, nothing will change. And I'm not sitting here on some pedestal, you know, saying that I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not wearing a, a skirt or, or sandals. I'm not a monk, you know. I just know this stuff really works for me. Mm. Like it really works for me. Once I change my breathing, everything changes. And breath is life. Therefore, if you want a full life, take full breaths. The first moment you were born, you took a breath. The last moment when you, before you die, you will take your last breath. And everything in between is just breathing. But the quality of life that you have between your first breath and your last breath will come, to come down to the quality of your breath. Mm, and that. I'm such a devoted student of this work because the better I breathe, the better I live. Yeah. And that's why I've started teaching breath work and meditations and stuff now because, yeah, it's just so important, man. And I have an ice bin too, so I love jumping in my ice bin. <laughs> yeah, I've just, funny enough, I've just cleaned one. I've just cleaned a bin out, which is out, outside, Come funny on, enough, an old sorry. bin. So so, so now I've said it on air, then people are going to be like, right, okay, so you're going to have to post a picture of this at some stage sort of thing. So, so is, it a, is it a council bin, tall bin? Yeah, it's an old council tall bin sort of thing. But the problem, yeah. is, I, problem is I'm six foot two, so I, 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 I got in it the other day and I was like, actually – I, I, I there's only so far I can squat down until my kind of like my pet yeah, my, so, uh, my my um uh, flamingo type legs can tuck underneath me sort of thing so so I'm I'm six foot three in a bit and if you're really if you're kind of going at an angle you can kind of get like up to your nipples in the water and just tuck <laughs> just tuck your arms in and then just basically lean forward and dip your head in <laughs> yeah, I love it man I yeah. love it and you feel Woo, fresh, yeah. fresh, present afterwards. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, we've, we've, I've been doing the the cold and the breath work for a week now, with 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 uh, my dad's mastermind, the dad circle, the guys in there, and it's, so far, it's just been it's been really good. Mm-hmm. A lot of good feedback, um, initial observations, sleep better, clarity of thought. My resting heart rate dropped about four beats per minute over the last week, and I know that That's because because it's kind of because it's on the Garmin. I know what it's averaging out over the last six months. Its average is about fifty fifty two at the minute, so it's down to forty eight at the moment. So that's over the last seven, seven days. So that's a noticeable. If people, anyone listening, monitors their heart rate, that's quite a large amount. So yeah, I mean that's also a very low heart rate, man. Well, it's my heart rate. See, now we're going into biology a little bit here. My heart rate used to be quite a lot lower when I was when I was younger and when I was racing. But interestingly, it went very low. It was never low in the middle of the season, if that makes any sense. But it often yeah. would go low in the spring and the autumn because you're not racing as much, so your body's more rested. And sometimes I'd take it in the morning and it'd be like 41, 42, something like that. That is incredible. I used to hate when I used to race. My heart rate never went below 50s, ever. 
<laughs> I used to think, oh my God, I'm never going to be a great cyclist. Do you remember Miguel Indoran? You all yeah. have to know Miguel Indoran. about 28, 28 or something, ridiculous. Like 28, that. 29. Oh my gosh, what an animal. <laughs> what an animal. Your heart beats every three seconds. That's insane. Yeah. No, two <laughs> Yeah. And, but the thing is, though, JP, the little we discuss about why heart rates probably in professional cyclists in the late 90s were as low as that, probably the better. <laughs> There's probably a reason for that, uh, maybe a little bit of pharmacological intervention going on in that, in that <laughs> era, just a bit, just a bit. But that segues nicely actually into my to the next thing I was going to ask you about, because the last 18 months have been a bit of a kind of roller coaster ride for you. And um, you had a real bad accident when you were doing Land's End to John O'Groats. Was it Land's End to John O'Groats or John O'Groats to Land's End? Because some people do it in reverse, don't they, as well these days? So Yeah, I did it in reverse because we figured it would be easy. We, we, we figured let's go for the harder one against the wind. John O'Groats <laughs> to Land's End. Uh. <laughs> and what, ha- what happened? Well, you know what happened, but the listeners don't know what happened. You had a, a kind of a bit of a turning point in your life that happened on that on that uh voyage of discovery on that journey that you did on the bike or the big well down in devon wasn't it so mm. so john o'groats to land's end top of scotland all the way down to the bottom of england a thousand miles in 10 days that was the charity it was just me and another guy a client of mine we were both raising money for charities we had our own backup vehicle with the driver and my assistant who was just doing everything from sorting out accommodation along the route to getting us food. So it was the four of us, the driver, my assistant and me and Callum, my clients on the bike. And we got to day seven and we'd marketed this whole charity event at uh, as being thousand miles, 10 days. And obviously you take little detours on the bike and there's a road closed and all that stuff. And, we get to just heading towards or just getting to Devon and we're having dinner on the seventh night. We realize, actually, my assistant says, JP, we're running short of miles. I said, what do you mean? She goes, we're not going to make a thousand miles. So I, I don't know, maybe it was exhaustion. Maybe it's just absolute stupidity. I didn't think anything other than show me the map. And I went like this. Lick my finger, <laughs> did a little circle. And I said, let's go there. That looks like a longer route. And we went through North Devon, which I now know is hill off the hill, off the hill, off the hill, off the hill. We usually finish cycling every day after about 10 to 12 hours on the bike, six or seven o'clock PM, we'd be done. Just after 7 PM, I was going downhill, still cycling. I just sent my wife a message saying, hey, it's a long day today. Say a prayer for me. And as I was going downhill, I was hit head on by a drunk driver, hit and run accident, flown off the road, bike smashed into 20 pieces. Joe, you know this, right? When a bike is in a crash, it's maybe two, three pieces, fork broken maybe. My bike's in pieces all over the road. I've seen know, a picture. 50. I've seen the pictures and that is, is a bad, bad smash. Bad yeah. smash. And um, yeah, flown off the road. I think they said like 80 meters or something down a bank. Um, or 80 foot, maybe that sounds more realistic, but far. And uh, yeah, I don't remember anything still to this day. I have post-traumatic amnesia. I, I don't have any memory of the accident, but um, yeah, I was literally left for dead on the side of the road. Someone saw the car driving towards them, smash windscreen and thought, what? That is very strange. Kept driving, saw pieces of bicycle, got out, couldn't see me, couldn't see anyone on the road because I was way off the road. And I think almost got back in their car and then heard me screaming. And and eventually paramedics came and an ambulance and then a a helicopter flown by helicopter to trauma hospital, Uh, two weeks in intensive care, multiple surgeries. I've got metal rods in my legs. My my legs were broken in multiple places, same as my arm, Uh, punctured lung, lung trauma, heart trauma, bowel trauma. I've got a scar up my stomach from bowel surgery. Uh, but yeah, two weeks in intensive care, almost seven weeks in hospital. And uh, I'm very, 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 very lucky to be here. Hmm. The doctors told me that. They said, you're lucky, you're so fit and healthy. 
They said, you've obviously got a very strong mindset because I got a chest infection. I was getting worse in intensive care. Um, but it's interesting. You can see some of the pictures of me lying in intensive care where my wife would take photos and I'm clearly out, but you see my hand like holding onto the railing as if, I don't know, I can only imagine that I was fighting for my life and holding on. Mm. There's no reason for me to hold on. I've got bloody rails on each side of me. I can't move. I've got weights attached to my legs, but I was just holding on, holding on, holding on. And um, yeah, then I went on a very long road of recovery. But as soon as I properly woke up, like I said, you know, I wasn't in a coma or anything. I just had post-traumatic amnesia. So apparently I was talking the whole time, but I have zero memory. But around day 10, day 11 in intensive care, I started to have conversations and actually realize, okay, I know, I know what's happened to me now. Mm. And I never, ever blamed the driver, not mm. for one moment. Because I'd been doing all this work on myself since the age of 23, 23 to 25 being my own first client, and then 25 till 37 at the point at the time coaching hundreds and, and speaking to thousands of people about self-mastery a big part of that was responsibility i've coached a lot on responsibility and i knew when i woke up i had a choice to be the victim or to to be victorious and to choose to be victorious inside and in my mind and i just said it is what it is this happened to me, but it didn't happen for me. Hmm. This story is for me to be able to serve more people. And honestly, Joe, no, like sometimes I, I'm so inspired by this story. Sometimes I, I share stuff about what I learned and what I went through. And honestly, I think people are listening, thinking bullshit, hmm. but absolute bullshit. Hmm. But, you know, I, I can only speak my truth. Yeah. I woke up and I, I thought, Thank you, universe. Thank you, God, for this blessing. Mm, to have a because second chance. Yeah. Ever, well, yeah, second chance. But also, all I've ever wanted to do, like I shared before, was to help people get mm. out of suffering and to help people thrive in life. But I'm a very big believer that you can't teach people or give people what you don't have or what you've not had. So my ability to help people with physical trauma, I would never touch that space. And there's so many people in the world suffering because of trauma, accidents, losing someone, witnessing something, being abused mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever. And I lay there thinking, I'm not religious, but I call the universe God, okay? I just said, God, thank you for giving me permission to reach more people and that's just honestly how i felt mm -hmm. and and i made my whole recovery about me and that's why you've seen so many videos of mine yeah you know in my recovery because my recovery is never about me mm -hmm. it was to show people that what happens to you doesn't have to define you you can use what happened to you to design you and to create a, a more compelling future, more compelling life than you ever had, that you ever had. Our stories, I just posted this today on social media. What happens to us and our stories happen to us, but they didn't happen for us. They happened for others. That's why we should always share what we've been through in our life, just in case someone is listening yeah it's, it's, and you can help them get through what they need to go through it's such a powerful statement to make that and, and i think the, th the thing is 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 when you have a positive impact on yourself you have a positive impact on others as well there's a guy there's a, there's there's a there's a there's a guy i um know in the u.s a guy called ryan mickler and he said my turning point really came when i was prepared to set myself on fire and let other people watch and it sounds a really weird statement, but it's 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 it's, it's the same thing that that actually your your journey is becoming kind of beneficial to other people even more so than it is yourself, and it becomes it becomes like a um, ah it, be, it I'm just trying to look for the word, but it it becomes a lot bigger than you just you if that makes any sense, and absolutely, absolutely, and it's not a it's. A, I, I, made a, I made a decision years ago to make my life not about me. 
and I'm never going to get everyone's um, positive opinion. I'm not, I'm not trying to get anyone to like me. I'm just living my life in a way that if anyone needs help, they can get help just by watching me. Gandhi said, when asked, what's, he, what's, what's your message? You share so much. What's your message? He said, my life is my message. Mm. Man, when I first heard that, I thought that's exactly what I'm about. Mm. And I always say to people, don't watch my mouth. I talk a good game. <laughs> but don't watch my mouth. Watch my feet. Yeah. Watch the way I walk. Watch what I do. Yeah. You know, it's been less than two years after having my legs broken. It's been about a year since I've barely been able to hobble, never mind run. And just two weekends ago, I ran three marathons in under 24 hours. Yeah. Why did I do that? Because if I can do that, you can get off your fucking ass and do something. Yeah. Like you don't need anyone's permission. Just go for it. I'm going to jump in here very quickly. If you have listened for any period of time, you will know that I place a massive value in having a group of other men around you to elevate what you think is possible for yourself. I want to tell you about the exclusive brotherhood I've put together called the Dad Circle, which is a group of dads committed to improving themselves in a number of areas in order to become the men and dads they always wanted to be. Not just this, but hardwired into the fabric of this brotherhood are a number of features, including weekly Zoom calls, monthly topics, challenges and assignments, together with a growing library of resources, fitness and mental challenges. You'll get just the accountability that you're looking for when you're surrounded by a group of other men looking to level up and go on a journey in exactly the same way. If this resonates with you and you would like to find out more, head on over to www.thedadscircle.com forward slash join. That's thedadscircle.com forward slash join. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think the thing is as well is you're being quite modest here, really, aren't you, JP? Because the thing is, is not only have you run three marathons in 24 hours, which you've done in the last couple of weeks, since your accident, around it was just about 18 months ago, was it? But around about that, yeah, around about that time frame. So you've done three marathons in 24 hours recently. You've climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. The videos I've seen on your social media feed, and your legs still weren't great when you were doing that. No. You've done a uh, you've done a marathon live on Clubhouse, taking questions to ultra, uh, ultra. an ultra marathon live on Clubhouse, and you've done over New Year a twelve hour endurance cycle on your uh, turbo trainer over New Year. Yeah. I mean, so you don't kind of lead by example; you kind of smash the doors in leading by example. And <laughs> and, and I think one of the things, but set against all the, these bits that you've done in the last in the last year to 18 months what resonated the most with me was when you talked about facing the driver of the car in the courtroom at Exeter and I remember you posted it and I messaged I think I sent a message that day because you said about the kind of it was quite a cathartic experience for you going through that process of forgiveness and facing that person in front of you Man, I'll tell you what, after that experience, I bawled my eyes out because it, I just felt so healed. So to, to give everyone a bit of context, uh, like I shared before, when I woke up in hospital, I never blamed the driver one bit. But everyone knows me. I've got a very strong mindset. I can push through a lot. I can push through a lot. And actually, people close to me over the, the few months after my accident, people would start to, you know, call me and have conversations with me or I would have conversations with people and they'd say, JP, you know what? If they say like, sorry to say this, and this is multiple people saying this, they say, sorry to say this, but if this was going to happen to anyone, we're so glad it happened to you. Because mm -hmm. they're like, of course, JP will turn this into some like crazy powerful story. And, but he's also got the tools to be able to deal with it. So I have a resilient mind. I have, you know, I have a, I have strong will and determination. So when I woke up, I decided not to blame the driver. But for the first year, I thought, so 2019, come to the beginning of 2020, I thought, have I just tricked myself? You know, have, have I just got such a strong mindset that I've tricked myself, because we do it all the time, to believe that I haven't forgiven the driver? And I thought, you know what? There's one way to tell. There's one way to tell that I've really, if I've really forgiven him. 
and that's go face him in court and see how I feel. And after him turning up drunk and then turning up drunk again and then putting him in a prison cell for the night so he would sober up, still no harsh feelings. And the next day he walks in. Now I know he's going to turn up because he's got armed guards with him. (laughs) And he turns up, he comes out of the van from the prison. And I stand at the entrance of the courtrooms. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do anything. I promise. I just want to see his face. And as he walks past me, literally two meters in front of me, from my right to my left, and then he goes into a little room to talk to his lawyers. I just looked at him. And when he left, when he walked, when he walked past me and he left, I thought, hmm, nothing. There's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. And I knew that I really had forgiven him. And then I thought I had a choice. I could read in all cases you read there's a what's called a victim statement. Mm-hmm. And either the judge reads the victim statement or the quote unquote victim <laughs> reads the victim statement. And I guess that was me. So you get asked when you go to court, would you like to read it or would you like the judge to read it? And first I said no. And I realized I was first asked the day before when he got drunk and he turned up drunk again and he Mm. got put in a cell. But I went back to my hotel room and I thought, why did I say no? I did it for me. Because when I had seen him come in, I thought, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Me, 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 me. And then I thought, what's the, if I don't read the statement, what's the benefit to him? Nothing. There's nothing there. You'll never even see me. Because he didn't see me when he walked past. He just was looking at the floor. Because he was half drunk or half cut. Whatever. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, if I did read the statement, who would benefit? And I said, me and potentially him too. So I had to do it. I had to do it. Next day I went to court. I read the statement. I read my pre-planned statement, a prepared statement. And then I turned to the judge and I said, judge, can I please say something to uh, Mr. Evans? And um, I got pulled outside the courtroom. I had to get it approved because it wasn't on the initial speech, came back in and I turned to him and I just said to him, Mr. Evans, I just want you to know that um, of course there's repercussions and consequences for what you did to me. But I need you to know that I, I forgive you and I have absolutely no animosity to you or towards you. And I said that, of course, you, you, know, you need to be punished for what you did, but I really hope that you can use this time to heal whatever inside you needs to be healed so that you can potentially come out a better, stronger man. And I wish you nothing but, you know, good luck, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, long story short, he stood up. He was in tears. I was in tears. He came to the front of his uh, of the box and he asked the judge to speak to me. And he said, Mr. Viz, I'm so sorry. If I could have it any other way, I would have me in the place of you. I'm so sorry. I've asked multiple times. I didn't do this on purpose. Anyway, it was a beautiful moment. Beautiful, beautiful moment. But the reason why I did it, the main reason why I did it is because my greatest, one of my greatest heroes and my first ever male role model that I really looked up to in my life was Nelson Mandela. And Nelson Mandela said that having anger and resentment is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill your enemy. He also at another time when released from prison, stood on stage with white people, the people that put him in a life sentence in prison. He got asked, how can you not hate the people that put you in prison? And he said, oh, because if I hated them, even though I'm out of prison, I'd still be in prison in his mind. So I knew a lot about forgiveness growing up and needing to forgive. And I knew that there's no way that I could heal myself if I kept blaming this person or if I wasn't willing to forgive this person. And to anyone listening to this that's been through any kind of hurt or trauma, I'm not saying they're not responsible for what, they're di- for what they did to you. But not forgiving them will not make you feel good. And how you feel is 100% your responsibility. I wanted to feel good from this experience and I knew I needed to let go. 
and I needed to let go of this experience. Otherwise, I'd be like treading water, trying to swim for the rest of my life while this anchor around my ankle gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. When I said those things in court, Joe, it was like the, it was like the thing around my ankle just released. Mm. I became so light. And when I became light, all these emotions came up. And I went back to my hotel room and I cried and I cried and I cried. I cried for that man. I cried for me. And I cried because I was just grateful for the power of forgiveness and what it can do for someone. I know without any doubt that that man is thinking about me in prison in a good way. And I'm thinking about him every day. Not only that, forgiveness touches other people too. After our court case, his lawyer kept walking up the hall, down the hall of the courtrooms, up the hall, down the hall. He kept looking at me in a weird way. And eventually he came over and he, he was like, I don't know, he like, didn't know how to approach me. But eventually he approached me and he said, Mr. De Villiers, can I just thank you for what you did? His lawyer, right? The guy that was put in prison. He said, I've been a lawyer for 25 years. I've never seen what you did. And he just said, thank you. Hmm. And this is the power of forgiveness. So I went off on a little bit of a tangent here, but forgiveness is so powerful. Hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm glad you did go off on a tangent though, because I think the thing is, is that, that, is that it's, it's very easy to become a victim of your own life. And... <sighs> And and I think the problem is is that, and I'm going to be very tactful the way I say this, particularly in this current climate, it has become the easy route to take because Absolutely. it because it absolves us all of any responsibility or any ownership or any control over what go over what goes on. And I've pondered this. Um, I pondered this for some years because my mum was killed in a, she was hit by a bus when I was 18 in my local town. So, and, and so this, this thought has gone over in my head for many, many years that you can, that, that you can attach meaning to things that have happened to you and you, you can have every reason to go off the rails and to say, well, it's because of this happened and whatever. And, you know, uh, and, and you can become a victim of your own life. But the thing is, is you have a choice not to become a victim of your own life. And, and I think what's, what I love about what you've just explained that happened in that courtroom is that was your kind of choice point to say, actually, no, I'm not the victim here. I'm actually in a good place here and I've done the work to be in a good place here. This guy is clearly, there's a reason why he's in the way he is. So why don't I show some grace and actually afford him something positive out of this situation in the same way as I'm taking something positive out of it? Bro, you've said it so good. You've said it so good. Yeah. And Absolutely. That's, and that's what kind of, and that's what really that's what I really love about your story and, 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 I, and, and I love about your personality because you have this innate ability to take these difficult scenarios but flip then flip them into a positive thing. And I think that this is one thing that I want people that are listening or watching this conversation to really take away from it, that you have a choice in, in, in all of these situations that kind of happen to you. You can either say fuck it, I give up, I roll over, life's beat me. Or you can just turn around and just almost figuratively spit, stick two fingers up and just say, no, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to keep going. Oh, I'll just share something. In the last uh, in the last year after my accident, so first, like, let's say eight, nine months, whatever, then in the last year, I've... I've done this three marathons, climbed the fourth highest mountain in the world, Kilimanjaro. I've ran a full ultra marathon whilst being live on Clubhouse. I've done two marathons, about, I lose count, about six, seven, eight half marathons, uh, many 10Ks. But it was my choice to do those things. If we go back, 
it was my choice to forgive the driver. If we go back, when I woke up in intensive care, it was my choice to say it is what it is. And I'm not going to blame anyone. I'm just going to take responsibility for where I am. But it was also my choice to put my finger on the map and choose the route. It was also my choice to get on my bicycle and decide to do that challenge. It was also my choice at 20 years old to get on a plane and go to London. It's always our choice. And if you say, no, this thing that happened to me wasn't my choice, okay, maybe, but how you feel as a result of that thing is always your choice. Not saying that it's easy, bro, I have had some dark moments I've had counseling, therapy since my accident, CBT, because what's been made very clear to me by all these professionals is even though I can't remember, my body remembers. Mm. So some days I feel insanely sad. I can't understand why. And all the, you know, the, the doctors and um, psychiatrists and psychotherapists, they're all like, this is trauma. They tell me, oh, you've got PTSD, you've got trauma, it's still in your body. That's why it comes out when I sleep and stuff. But still, whenever I have the ability to choose, it is my responsibility to choose. And what I'm saying here is, even when it's really, 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 really hard, it's still your choice. And if you can't do it on your own, get help. Get help. That's why I'm not ashamed to say I've had a lot of help this year because I want to encourage other people to get help. And picking up the phone is a choice. Asking to speak to someone is a choice. Mm. But not doing that and choosing to just stay where you are is also a choice. Yeah. And but is that choice actually making you feel better? Mm. Because often staying when you, where you are accompanies with it the self-medications that are going to sp- keep you in that external world rather than the internal world. Aren't they? Mm. Just from what I, my own experience and from what I've seen other people go through, that is generally when they're stuck in that place, that's when the drugs kick in, that's when the drinking kicks yeah. in, the gambling, um, sex, whatever it's going to be, it's going to find its way through in that external world. So you have to go inside in order to work out where your journey is going to be. And, and you're talking, talking about choices and focus. Uh, I've lived my whole, most of my life as an athlete. So when you have your legs broken, you know, you wonder who the fuck are you? Cause you can't do what you've done your whole life. I can't move. I can't speak. I can't coach. I can't be on the road all the time. I live my life on my feet. Mm. So now I'm like, what? So now I have a choice once again complain about what I can't do. And I, I really, oh, hang on. Sorry, there's a, oh, <laughs> never mind. I'll get him afterwards. There's a, sorry, there's a moth flying around here. I want to try and save him, the, 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 the ridiculous vegan in me. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really want people to listen to this. Even when I had everything taken away from me that made up my identity, coaching, speaking, traveling, fitness. I still had a choice. I could say, I could choose to say, I can't do this, I can't do that, woes me. Or I could say, even though I can't do all of those things that I usually do, hmm, what can I do? And honestly, Joe, I said, I can't do all this outer work, travel, coaching, speaking, exercising, you know what? This is a great time to do inner work. Oh, my. Oh, what a gift. I've got a whole year at least to do inner work. I went to Buddhist meditation centers. I lived in silence for 16 days. I went to a monastery, Shaolin Temple, lived with monks, practiced Kung Fu, Tai Chi, obviously very minimal movement because of my <laughs> legs and stuff. And I became a whole new person Mm. because rather than being consumed by what I can't do, I chose towards, I chose to, I chose to go towards what I could do. And it's been a beautiful, beautiful experience. 
Yeah. The more you go inside, the more you want to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think as well, what I love about that, because I say that to I say that to guys when they're kind of when they've been injured or when something's not going to plan or something has thrown a spanner in the works with, you know, their goals or their vision or whatever they're whatever they're going for and stuff's not working, I always say to them, What can I do? And I had this, you know, it pales into insignificance with what you've been through, but I had a DIY accident uh, in October and I couldn't lift. So straight away I'm on on onto my PT and saying, I can't lift for, I can't lift, so we need to pivot quick. So we had to do bodyweight exercises instead. But that's just me thinking, what can I do? And the same thing, the same thing you can apply sorry, to. Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to give respect to you there because nine out of 10 people would call the trainer and say, I can't come to the gym, I've injured myself. Yeah, but it's because yeah. I generally do that. I generally run through that, what can I do? So, and you can apply, and for like you said, you can apply this to physical things, you can apply it to mental things, you can apply it mm. to relationships. Like, for instance, in lockdown, people are like, oh, well, I can't go on date nights with my wife because it's lockdown. Have a date night at home. Put a shirt on and put some chinos on. Invite her to dress as she would do if you were going out. And then you set the table and you have a date night at home and stuff. And it's once you get into this mindset of kind of, like you said, what can I do? Then you're constantly pivoting all the time and making the best of a situation. And, and to your point, making a choice. And anything that was once an idea and we practice long enough becomes our nature. So if you have an idea to get fit and you practice fitness for a year, fitness will become your nature. No one can argue that. If you trained every day for a year, you will just be someone that considers themselves to be fit. If you meditated for a year, et cetera. So anything you practice, you're going to get good at. So just start with, you know, in the, in the easiest way you can, Start focusing on something that is in your control, something that you can do. Mm. And the more you do it, the better you'll get. Where you can only trust the process that you'll get to a point where in your nature is you only focus on what you can do. Mm. What kind of a life would that be? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you say that because we I, I was looking at Atomic Habits last month and he makes a link between habits and identity and I, and someone asked me today about motor. What do you do? What do you do when you? I, I struggle with motivation, and I'm like, well, habits take carry you through when you're not motivated. So that's why you dial in your habits, so that when you get up on a day and you're like, oh, I don't want to go out because it's like pouring with rain or it's icy cold. It's inbuilt into your identity that you are a person that works out even when it's freezing cold outside. <laughs> so uh, it's just what jumps in the ice bin. Jumps in the ice bin. That's you, now. See now you've laid down the challenge, JP. I'm gonna be like, uh, I'm gonna be banged to rights now. I'm gonna get these people saying to me, right? You've said, you've said you're gonna get in the ice bin, so it's gonna happen now. So <laughs> you, uh, you, you got your ice bin at the right time, Joe. Hey, just coming out the other end of winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the summer, I'm gonna be like one of these people in 30 degree heat in the ice bin. But no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually a really good time to get it in the summer. Because then as it gets colder, your body will be, as the te drops one, te you know, one degree, one degree, one degree, when it's like minus two degrees in the middle of January or December, you just won't feel it because it will be like putting a frog in water. You know, that's, that's. Yeah. 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 But so far, so far it's, 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 it's going, it's going all right. It's going, it's going okay. But awesome. Listen, man, it's been a fantastic conversation tonight and, I, and I've really enjoyed having you in uh, to speak with me. I think that we could probably do three or four hours on the kind of the inner journey and awareness side of things and uh, maybe we will have to make that happen as a marathon at some point. But um, if people want to find out about you and link up with you on social media, if you've got any projects that you want to uh, mention that you've got coming up, by all means, the floor is open to you, sir, to mention those. Well, I have uh, two, two ways in which people can work with me. It's either a coaching membership, a monthly subscription called bestlifemba.com and MBA for your best life, bestlifemba.com. Uh, I also have a three-month coaching program. The next one starts in May. It's all about mindset habits, getting you to your results quicker. 
Uh, and then if you go on Google, type my name in, you'll see tons of stuff, YouTube, articles. You find a lot about my accident. If you type in Jean-Pierre de Villiers' accident, you'll see like big newspapers um, fe- you know, featuring my story and what happened. Even the story of forgiveness, you can find on Devon Live and a few other newspapers. And uh, the places where I'm probably most present on social media right now is Facebook. My name, Jean-Pierre de Villiers. Instagram, my name, Jean-Pierre de Villiers. Well, I think it comes up as JPDV, but just type my name and you'll find me. And my favorite place at the moment is Clubhouse. I'm on Clubhouse almost every day. So if you want to come hang out with me, talk to me, have a conversation in the area of life fitness, which is mind, body, and heart fitness or spiritual fitness, uh, then come check me out on Clubhouse. I think my Clubhouse handle is JPDV Coach. My initials, JPDV Coach. Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to ask you one last question that I don't prime any guests for. And that question, JP. Oh, by, the, by the way, before you ask the question, I have, uh, if anyone wants to get a free copy of my book, How to Own Your Life, which is about taking responsibility for your life, trusting your intuition, intuition, getting into movement, they can DM me on Instagram and we'll send them a, a, a link to get a copy. Anyway, over to your last No, question. that's fine. And what I'll do is I'll link that up in the show notes as well so people can find that as well. Um, so what is it in life that gives you meaning JP pushing myself to the edge of myself I all I want to do is I want to be a great role model whilst I'm here and I think I shared it before but 90% of the limits that we live with and live in are not real they created in our own mind and I just want to be uh, a catalyst for people's own transformation by showing them that if you push yourself to the edge of yourself, you have to grow. You have to grow. I mean, if you go to the gym, right? If Arnold Schwarzenegger was talking about you going to the gym or Tony Robbins and you're aiming to do 10 reps, which rep creates the growth and transformation, Joe? The 11th. The 11th one. So if everyone thinks about that, because a lot of people question, why do I push myself so hard? Why do I do, you know, live in 16 days of silence? So why do I do these challenges? Because I'm always looking for that 11th rep. Mm. I don't want to live an average life. And what gives my life meaning is consistently looking for that 11th rep in mind, in body, in spirit. Because you cannot give people what you have not done yourself or what you don't have. And how can I tell people or encourage people to go limitless, to go live a limitless life if I'm not willing to push myself to the edge of my own limitations? I love it. I really love it. And it shows, trust me, man, it shows in what you do. Thank you, sir. It's been an absolute privilege speaking to you this evening and uh, and I want to thank you for sharing your story with me and being very open and frank about your experience. It's been a pleasure, man. Likewise. Thanks for having me. We did it. We finally did it. Cheers, man. My there you go, JP. Cheers, Joe. Cheers. See you soon. I was really looking forward to speaking to JP on this episode after I heard him speaking on another podcast a few months back before going to court with the drunk driver. His story of forgiveness is powerful, but even more so is what we discussed around not being a victim of your own life, which we can all relate to. You can check out his website, jeanpierredevilliers.com. He is also on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And like he said, when we spoke, he's active, very active on Clubhouse right now. What I liked about JP's story is that it dealt with some very real and difficult emotions that we will all face if we haven't already. It showed the benefits that come from being very aligned with yourself and self-aware together with how this kicks in during times of crisis and trauma. What I really wanted to unpack with JP was his courtroom experience as having exchanged messages with him on that day, I know that it was a very cathartic experience for him and his own recovery. Whilst not easy in any way, shape or form, it shows how we can exercise self-compassion and compassion towards others, and in doing so, emancipate ourselves from the torture of being the perpetual victim 
of our own lives, which is a very, very powerful thing to embrace indeed. There's also a video of this interview over on the Guild of Dads YouTube channel, and you can link up with me over on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook using the handle at Guild of Dads. I'm teaching you how to follow a simple system and plan just like many of my guests in order to transform all areas of your life so that you can live more purposefully with much greater fulfillment and meaning at the same time as becoming the man and dad you always wanted to be. It's all in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint. You can grab it free over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. In order to have a positive impact on the world, we improve ourselves and inspire others. The fee for this show is that you share it with others so that they may benefit from anything you find useful or interesting, indeed even inspiring. If you know someone that could do with improving their relationship, could do with the life rethink or different perspective, share this episode with them. The best bit, you don't have to tell them why you're sharing it with them, but it could be just what they need to hear. If you get a lot out of this podcast please leave a review and rating on your favorite podcast player of choice we're growing guild of dads week on week the facebook group is growing so i want to thank you guys for tuning in if you're new to the show i also want to thank you for discovering guild of dads uh, the movement and the podcast this is growing guys and we're having some more and more fascinating discussions uh, on the podcast on a weekly basis if you want to join up and join with a group of other guys that are discussing these difficult topics that we all have to grapple with, you know, relationships, physical health, mental health, check out the Guild of Dads Facebook group. It's completely free to join. uh, And we have some fantastic conversations over there on some very interesting topics. Hopefully you find something insightful in every episode. So share with dads you know. And in the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning. Apply what you hear and we'll see you next time.